in a moment our series in 2 Peter, but before we turn to that book of the Bible, we're going to have a reading from a bit of uh, Psalm 119, Monica's going to read to us, then we will sing uh, a hymn which is a, a fitting prayer, it seems to me, for the word to change us, to bend us and transform us. Uh, before we hear from 2 Peter, uh, Bethany going to read a, a second reading, and then Gideon will speak after that. So let's uh, turn to Psalm 119, then Monica will read to us. Yes, the first reading this evening is, as Simon has said, Psalm 119. We'll be beginning in verse 89, hearing verses 89 through to 96 and then jumping over to verse 105. And you can find that on page 620 on the Bibles in the pews. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 89. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Second reading is from 2 Peter chapter 1, 19, and then to chapter 2, verse 3. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and a morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through humans spoke from God as though carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping." Well, please do keep that passage open. Thank you very much, Bethany, for reading for us. Uh, Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you because your word is a lamp unto our feet. And so we pray this evening as we uh, hear from your word, uh, would you, uh, by your spirit, uh, shine your word brightly deep down into our hearts uh, so that in the process uh, may you uh, teach us what we know not, uh, make, may you make us what we are not, uh, to the glory of your name. And we ask 
is in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that psalm, uh, Psalm 100, well, is it 119, verse 105, uh, your word is a lamp unto my feet. That's a, a wonderful verse to get us going tonight. Uh, in the, well, during the World War II, uh, the story goes of uh, six Allied fighter pilots who were uh, coming back from a mission uh, when the aircraft carrier they were uh, coming back to received orders for a blackout uh, to, to avoid detection from enemy submarines in the area. Uh, on returning from the mission, uh, the fighter pilots indeed discovered that the, there were no landing lights where the aircraft carrier should have been. Now, one of the pilots radioed the ship, give us some light so that we can land. Uh, the response came back, negative, we can't give you any light at this time. Uh, a full blackout has been ordered. A bit later, a second pilot requested, give us some light so that we can land. Negative, blackout still in effect. A third pilot Uh, now dangerously low on fuel, said, can you at least give us one light so that we can land? The radio operator was told to discontinue or contact at that point. As a result, uh, six fighter pilots reportedly went down in the dark waters of the Atlantic that night. Give us light so that we can land safely, I suppose, was the true call from those pilots. Give us light so that we can arrive at our destination. For those pilots, they needed light in order to navigate through the darkness of the night and to land safely. And so it is for the Christian in a spiritually dark world that has been blacked out by sin. If we are to receive the rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, as it says in verse 11, chapter 1, then we need the light of the gospel to to guide us through, to to bring us home, to land with the Lord Jesus in heaven forever. Uh, This letter is written by the Apostle Peter uh, to a young church. Uh, Peter knows he's about to die, verse 14 of chapter 1, and so he's writing his last words to the church before he leaves this world. Uh, He's writing to reassure them that it is possible to land safely, Uh, to receive the rich welcome in God's kingdom forever. And so he writes this letter to remind Christians to be established in the faith, uh, to be rooted in the faith, to be rooted so that they won't be carried away by error. It's a letter written to to encourage the church to be on its guard against error, against false teaching, which will lead us in the wrong direction, ultimately to destruction. You see, the Apostle Peter knows that the only way for Christians to journey through this world, through this dark world, to their eternal homes, is to keep their eyes fixed on the true gospel of the Lord Jesus. He wants the the church to pay attention, pay attention to the true light, the only light that will guide us to land safely. And secondly, he wants Christians to be aware of the false lights, the false teachers who, who proposed to be an alternate guide to safety. But as we'll see, Peter says, they are no light at all. They are false teachers headed for destruction, and so are those who follow them. 
So two headings for us this evening. First heading, pay attention to the message of the apostles. It's true light. And second, beware of false teachers. Their message will lead to destruction. So our first heading, pay attention to the message of the apostles. It is true light. And last week we saw Peter put his case forward as a credible witness. Um, in verses 16 to 18, he not only saw the Lord Jesus in his transfiguration, but he also heard it as well. Uh, the transfiguration event in the Gospels was when Jesus took Peter, John and um, James up into a mountain and he was transfigured. His clothes became radiant and intensely white and glorious. Uh, it was an amazing event. It's detailed in verses 16 to 18 and, and also in the Gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark and Luke. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Uh, Peter wants us to know that we can trust his message because he's a reliable witness. He, he was really there. He, he saw the Lord Jesus in his life, death and resurrection. And he also saw and heard Jesus transfigured in majestic glory on the holy mountain. He saw a glimpse of the future of what Jesus will be like when he returns, again in glory and honour as king. However, uh, Peter was aware that there were many people who would think of his testimony as a, as a cleverly devised kind of myth or story, verse 16. Uh, some people would, would think, gosh, we can't commit and submit our life to Jesus unless we have a similar experience. Well, Peter, you were there, but we weren't. Uh, we haven't seen the light with our eyes. We haven't heard God's voice in our ears. I suppose you could find a similar sentiment in the church today. Uh, those who seek certain experiences, special experiences when they come to church, who think that their faith is, is somewhat diminished or, or second tier because they haven't had a special experience like Peter. Uh, knowing this, Peter says, verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. In other words, if you have the words of scripture, then you don't need to wait for a special encounter. You have it in the words of the Bible itself. Uh, the prophetic message in verse 19 is, a, is another way of referring to the Old Testament. And in mentioning the Old Testament here, Peter is linking both Old Testament prophecy and his eyewitness account of the, the transfiguration together. Uh, this verse is a bit tricky, and, and there is debate amongst commentators as to whether Peter's claiming his experience of the transfiguration as a, as a more reliable witness than the Old Testament, or vice versa. However, what we need to know is that Peter's witness and the Old Testament prophecy are not in competition with each other. That he, he wants us to know that they both complement each other. They work together. Uh, what Peter saw on the mountain confirms all of Old Testament prophecy as reliable. Uh, and because of this, uh, Peter says, you will do well to pay attention to it. Pay attention. Uh, this word for, for pay attention captures the sense of devotion, of applying oneself Pay attention. Devote yourself to scripture. Why? Well, because it's the light that will guide you through the darkness. Verse 19. 
and you'll do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. The word of the Lord is the shining light in our dark world. It's the only light that can bring us to land safely in eternity with him forever. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the living word of God. And those who follow Jesus pay attention to his words, because his words are a lamp unto our feet. You know, we see light with our eyes, and it guides our body to go places, doesn't it? And... I guess if we, we, if we turn off the lights in this church, uh, it'd be completely dark, I guess, unless it was light outside. But it'd be dark in here, and in one sense, we could turn on our torch functions and our smartphones, and there'd be some light. But it, would, it wouldn't be the same as the, the light illuminating the whole church. How about spiritually? Spiritually speaking, how many lights do we need to, to guide us to heaven safely, in a dark world. In John 8, verse 12, uh, Jesus doesn't say, I am a light in the world. Not like many torches on a smartphone that shine in in the darkness. No, the great claim Jesus makes is that he's the light of the world. There's only one light that can guide us to safety. And that light is the light of Jesus Christ, the light of his word in the Bible. There's no other option. Uh, The world is in complete blackout without the light of Jesus and his word. Uh, This is the great claim of the gospel. If we're not following Jesus, then the implication is that we are walking in darkness. If we're not paying attention to his word, allowing it to guide and shape our lives, then that's the implication, darkness. Uh, The only light that can lead God's people to safety in heaven is the light of scripture, so pay attention. And that's what Peter wants us to remind, to remember. Uh, secondly, he wants us to, to pay attention to the words of scripture because it, it comes from God. Look at verse 20 and what Peter says about scripture. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Where does the Bible come from? Well, according to these verses, the Bible comes from God. Verse 20 and 21 are key verses in a core Christian doctrine called the inspiration of Scripture. This doctrine claims that God is the author of the Bible. Whenever we read the Bible, we're not just reading words written by human authors... I know we're ultimately reading words that God has breathed out himself. Whatever the Bible says is what God says. So so pay attention to it. Peter and the Old Testament prophets didn't just write scripture by kind of, you know, mulling over the events they experienced and then they wrote down their own interpretation of what happened. This is a common view in the church nowadays of how the Bible came to be. You might call it a liberal view of scripture, that God revealed himself in certain ways, and this had 
a kind of inspiring effect on the Bible writers that they wrote what we now have as scripture as their own version of God's act in human history. You can see where the logic of this leads, can't you? If the Bible is based on human interpretation of God's act in history, then it's possible that flawed human authors got some things wrong. And so you can argue that there are some things in the Bible which are, aren't relevant for today. Some things that can be discarded. Well, because we need new interpretations for our culture today. Well, that's not what Peter says here in verse 20. Verse 20, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Uh, Peter, the Old Testament prophets, didn't write down their own interpretation of God's act in history. Uh, The words we get in scripture, they're God's version of events. And we can trust that every word is completely reliable because it's, it's God's words. They're perfect for us. Verse 21, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as they were kind of ferried along by the Holy Spirit. That's to say, God spoke through human beings with their varying personalities and kind of idiosyncrasies. He didn't override their personalities. They weren't entirely passive in the process, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible is both human and divine. I used to do a bit of sailing, and, um, well, uh, when you're sailing, I guess you, you hoist up your sails, and you, hopefully the wind will carry you along to your, to your destination, and if there isn't much wind, I guess you just switch on the engine. <laughs> you can tell I wasn't much of a sailor. <laughs> but that's the kind of imagery we, we get here. You know, authors of the Bible kind of hoisting up their sails and being ferried along by the Holy Spirit to a set destination by God. Both human and divine authorship. And yet the outcome is is being determined long ago by God. All scripture is God-breathed, not just some of it, but all of it. So pay attention. I guess an implication of these verses... um, one thing that comes to mind is that, well, we don't need to listen for God's voice as if he's going to, to give us new revelation. In some churches, after the Bible has been read, you might hear the phrase, let us now listen for God's voice. Scripture's closed, and then the phrase goes, let us now listen for God's voice, as if Scripture is a, an inspirational starter, and the real revelation begins after the Bible has been closed. No, no, Christians don't listen for God's voice. No, we listen to God's voice because he's already spoken. If our view of the Bible is healthy, if we view the Bible fully as God's word, then we won't look for additional insights or, or wait in expectation for further revelation. Uh, no, our sole commitment will be to, to keep paying attention and listening to God's voice, because he's spoken to us in the Bible. Pay attention to God's word. It's the only light that that will guide us through the darkness. Pay attention because it comes from God himself. Be devoted to it in in such a way that it will guide you, but also 
in a way that you can recognize fake alternatives when it comes. There'll be many fake pseudo-lights, false teachers who arise. So beware. That's our second point this evening. Uh, Beware of the teaching of the false teachers and their message, which leads to to destruction. Uh, The seriousness of false teaching in the church is so important that that Peter devotes the whole of chapter 2 to it. Uh, Tonight we'll only look at the first kind of three verses, but as we'll see in this chapter, Peter doesn't pull his punches. He doesn't mince his words about the the character of false teachers, their motives and their, their destruction. If God's people are to journey through this dark world without falling away, then we need to be aware of the many false lights, false guides along the way. Verse 1 of chapter 2. But there, are, there were also false prophets among you, the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. False teachers are in the church. They always have been. It isn't a new phenomenon. Uh, we're kind of used to seeing bad guys on, on the telly, aren't we? Um, whether it's the sleazy politicians or, or kind of greedy bankers or entitled kind of prima donna sportsmen. We're used to it on the telly. How about in the church? Well, I guess the, the recent leadership scandals in the church in just about every denomination has woken us up to the fact that there are bad leaders in the church. False teachers as well. In the Old Testament, amongst the Israelites, for every true prophet of God like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, there arose false prophets along the way, claiming to have a word from God also. As Jeremiah puts it, there were many out of whose mouths came worthless deceptions. Peter says, this trend will continue for the church long after he's gone. And there'll be false teachers who, who bring worthless and destructive deception to God's people. And they will arise from among you. They're in our church today. And we can spot them, can't we? Because, well, firstly, verse 1, they will teach destructive heresies. The word for heresies in this verse, it literally means choice or opinion. Of course, there are many issues that divide Christians, such as, you know, church polity, how should we organise a church, view on baptism and style of worship. They typically tend to be second or or third order issues. They're not a matter of salvation. Uh, We can can disagree on how a church is organised or should be organised and yet still be saved. But the false teachers... Their opinions aren't opinions that relate to secondary issues. No, their, their opinions are heretical because it, it directly contradicts the teaching of Scripture. It's not just a one-time error. No, it's a, a persistence in teaching falsely, and they cause others to follow them as well. False teachers aren't content with what God has revealed in Scripture, so they, they introduce their own beliefs their own opinions instead. Uh, Some of the false teachers in Peter's day were teaching that uh, Jesus would not return again. And by denying Jesus' return, uh, well, they were free to live their lives according to their personal desires uh, because there would be no last judgment, no reckoning. And notice how the false teachers introduced their heresies. 
they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. It's never a flagrant, outright denial of the gospel. Uh, They don't go around with a sign on their forehead saying, false teacher. No, it's more subtle than that. They distort the truth here and there. They, They add little corrections to the gospel, or they omit certain things. Is Jesus really coming back again? Does sexual intimacy only belong in marriage? Or does it belong in stable and committed relationships? Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention what's currently going on in the Church of England at the moment, as a prime example. Uh, It's something I've been thinking about this past week as I've read through this passage about false teaching. Now, what I'm about to say is in no way meant to ostracise anyone or or to take away from the dignity of those who might be same-sex attracted. Uh, we, we welcome everyone here at All Saints, regardless of their background, their sexuality, or, or relational circumstances. However, we, we also want to be clear on what the Bible teaches regarding sex as a good gift reserved for marriage. Uh, so please don't overhear what I'm about to say as overly hostile or antagonistic. If you'd love to explore what the Bible says about sex and marriage, why not pop along to the big questions? Maybe that'll be a a good opportunity to ask that question there. But in case you've missed it, uh, currently in the Church of England, there's a huge divide over the decision by the House of Bishops to introduce prayers blessing same-sex relationships. And it's extremely important that we understand what the prayers proposed by the bishops mean. At the core, uh, the prayers imply that what God has said no to, sex outside marriage, they're saying it it can be blessed, it's fine. Uh, What God has said no to, they're saying no, we can bless it. Uh, Not only that, uh, but the prayers also imply that effectively we don't need to repent for our sins. And that's why the prayers is a salvation issue. Uh, In the Bible, in Acts, it says, repent and then turn to God so that your sins may be forgiven. At the core, the prayers proposed by the bishops to bless same-sex relationships effectively prevent people from receiving God's blessing or forgiveness in this area of their lives. Uh, So hence, we we can't, we shouldn't ignore what's going on because it's a matter of salvation. Uh, The prayers contradict the plain teaching of scripture regarding sex and marriage and so i'm afraid to say these prayers are heretical we want people to repent to receive god's forgiveness and come to know his loving care now the bishops who are introducing these prayers are saying they haven't departed from the teaching and doctrine of the church of england which is rooted in scripture there's no outright denial of jesus as lord verse one But they are denying him as Lord over how people should live by effectively saying it's okay to have sexual intimacy outside marriage. Yes, we believe that Jesus is Lord, but just not over our sex lives. It's subtle. Pay attention, Peter says. There are false teachers among you who who secretly, who subtly introduce changes to the gospel of which many will follow to devastating destructive effect 
Now, I'm aware that some of us here this evening might be feeling uncomfortable with what I've just said. Uh, You might have heard all this before, uh, and you're wondering, why do we need to hear it again? What good does it do to anyone to, to go over this controversial topic? Well, I'm sorry if you feel like that, in one sense. But I'm also not sorry uh, to remind you of these things. As Peter has said earlier in in chapter 1, verse 12, uh, Peter thinks that every Christian, even those who are going well, firmly established, we, we need reminding, we need to pay attention to false teachers amongst us. Pay attention so that we're not carried away. I have no desire to pick on a particular group of people. I'm just seeking to pay good attention to God's word and what it says about how we should live. False teachers are in the church and they secretly introduce destructive heresies. That's the first sign. Secondly, false teachers will be depraved in their conduct and many will follow them. Verse 2, many will follow their depraved conduct. Instead of promoting the purity and holiness that comes uh, with living for Christ, they promote a a gospel-like version Yes, we believe that Jesus is Lord, but just not Lord over this part of our lives. Surely the church has no business telling Christians how to live in their private lives. Uh, the reason for their false teaching is it's mainly ethical, not intellectual. They deviate from the gospel because, well, it suits how they want to live. And this way is often popular. Many Christians will have a desire to follow the teaching, as it says in verse 1. Verse 2, sorry. There's a saying, if every, if every error is a friend to some sinful desire, then no wonder many will be captivated by the error of the false teachers. You can imagine someone saying, you mean it's okay to live how I want to live and it will please God? Well, that's great. The false teachers will seem so attractive So attractive that even some will say, well, this is a great opportunity for evangelism. Uh, Christianity should move on with society. shouldn't be stuck in the dark ages. Uh, We need to attract more people to the church. Uh, Peter says that those who follow false teachers only serve to bring the way of truth into disrepute. End of verse 2. Instead of evangelizing the world, false teachers and their followers have a, a disastrous effect on the church's witness. And thirdly, verse 3, in their greed, they will exploit you with fabricated stories. I think of the prosperity gospel, a gospel that's taken hold uh, in so many parts of the world today. And it's a false teaching which eschews suffering. It says that Christians shouldn't undergo suffering in this life. It's a gospel which says that God rewards increase in faith with well, increase in prosperity, increase in health and wealth. It's a heretical teaching which promotes that Jesus didn't just die to free you from your sins. No, he also died to to free you from sickness and poverty in this life. It's a perversion of the gospel that we read in the Bible. I remember watching uh, one American televangelist who who owns so many private jets that he he was fundraising to to build a a private hangar and a private runway on his property. Uh, that was his fundraiser. And uh, his reason for owning so many private jets was this. And I kid you not. Uh, you can't talk to God whilst flying commercial. 
That was his reason. He can't talk to God whilst flying commercial. So, so he needs his own private jet. It should be a tagline somewhere in the Hall of Infamy for, for prosperity teaching, shouldn't it? They will exploit you in their greed. They are false shepherds who want to, to fleece the sheep for their own benefit. Beware of false teachers and their fabricated stories. They are false guides. Instead of leading you to land safely, they will lead you to destruction. I once bought a Casio watch on eBay, and, um, well, I thought I was buying a real thing. It was a cheap watch. But it turns out it was fake. It was a fake, and... I haven't bought many fake things in my life, but I was disappointed when I got the, the fake watch. But I, I ultimately got over it. It was only a cheap watch. No harm done. Only a few quid loss, right? Well, how about if I spent a lot of money on the watch? Or if the watch was for someone else? Well, then I'd be more upset. It'd be more serious. Now, fake watches. How about fake medicine? We have some doctors in the room now. Well, that's more serious, isn't it? Because it's not just a matter of a few quid. It's serious because it, it relates to our health. Potentially life or death. How about a fake gospel? A false gospel? Well, it's a matter of eternity, isn't it? A matter of eternal destruction or eternal salvation with the Lord Jesus forever. Beware of false teachers. Their teaching it leads to destruction. But there's a phenomenon called spatial uh, disorientation, and um, it's described as the inability to determine a position or relative motion uh, commonly occurring during uh, periods of uh, challenging visibility. Um, it's, a, it's a phenomenon typically suffered by young pilots when, when flying through cloud. Um, one experienced pilot instructor notes, it's amazing how many pilots end up upside down when they've just been through the clouds. You see, the, the mistake they make is, is not to trust their instruments, uh, which is a sure guide to whether they're level or not. Uh, because of the clouds, they can't see the horizon, um, and therefore they feel disorientated. And so instead of trusting the instruments, they, they make slow corrections, uh, banking one way or the other, until they've made enough corrections that they end up being completely upside down. And it's not until they come out of the clouds that they realise. Uh, the more experienced pilots learn to trust their instruments when flying through cloud. It's very easy to feel like we need to make small course corrections to the teaching of the Bible. Especially in our 21st century society. There'll be great pressure, not just from the world, but from within the church, to, to make small course corrections. I guess we're seeing it in a major way in the Church of England at the moment. But, but we know that as we do, it will ultimately just leave us upside down from salvation. I think Peter wants to say to us this evening, don't make any course corrections to the teaching of Scripture. Trust it as your sure guide through the clouds, through the darkness of this world. It will lead you to land safe, safely. An implication for us today is that anyone who would say we need anything more or less than scripture, they can't be trusted. 
They're teaching falsely and, and making unwanted course corrections. I guess that's why it's good to have your, your Bibles open when uh, you're listening to a sermon, to check that whoever's teaching is indeed teaching the words in the Bible and not their interpretation. And so let's keep trusting that God's word is completely reliable. It will guide us to safety, to land with him in his eternal kingdom one day. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you because your word is a sure light unto our path in this world. And we thank you for the complete reliability of scripture, uh, not just in the experience of the Apostle Peter, but also because uh, you are the author of scripture. Uh, these are your words, so we can trust it as a sure guide. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would, you would help us to keep paying attention, uh, to keep being devoted to your word. Please, by your spirit, would you help us to discern false teaching when it comes our way. Heavenly Father, we, we know that it's only by your grace that we stand in this world. And so we pray that you would keep us from stumbling so that one day we can find ourselves in the rich embrace of the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.